You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. <laughs> Poor Ralphie. <laughs> you see, as all of his joy and excitement just melt away, and as the expectations and reality kind of line up, and you see that what he expected, what he hoped for, what he was so excited about and couldn't wait to receive, just turned out to be a crummy commercial. <laughs> and can you relate to that? Can you relate? You wait for the day when you're going you're gonna to get the key to solve all of life's mysteries and when you're going to be able to be put on the inside track. You're looking for that secret decoder of life and you find yourself in a place where you're just disappointed and sad and you feel like you've just gotten a crummy commercial. And it's disappointing, right? It's disappointing. Some of the times when you go to the mail and you're hoping to get a package and instead you get a jury duty notice. Happened to me this week, February 4th, yay. So, <laughs> you get a jury duty notice, or you're planning before a vacation and the flight gets canceled. You go to your boss's office expecting that you're going to get a promotion. Instead, they say, we hate to tell you you're a great worker, but we've got to lay off employees. You know, and it's disappointing. You've been dating this guy, this girl, and you are just so sure that your next words are going to be, I do. And instead, they inform you that your next words are, I'm out. <laughs> you know, you have all these moments when we have these dreams and opportunities that come up, and instead, it ends in failure or disappointment, or things just don't look quite like we expected them to look at. Sometimes we get the opportunity of a lifetime, and then we don't even realize that what comes next is more of a moment like this. Anybody familiar with this, this TV show? <laughs> It's called Nailed It. Um, If you haven't seen it, you really should look it up. It's good for a lot of laughs. And you expect that it's going to turn out looking like this, the baked good, the model, the example that you're supposed to replicate, and instead you get nailed it, you know, on the other side. And sometimes that's what it feels like. And I think that's why these stories are so relatable, because we all experience disappointment instead of joy at times in our lives. And so today, instead of trying to blame our circumstances, we we find all kinds of reasons to, to find reasons why our joy might be stolen from us. But instead of looking for the joy stealers, we're going to look to the joy giver. And so I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to set our decoder to B2. And we're going to find out what the Bible has to say about joy, what it has to say about joy. And we're first of all, we're going to look at joy and some of the joy responses that we find in the, in the Christmas story. The Christmas story began hundreds of years before the events of Jesus' birth took place. And it started with a series of prophecies, uh, prophetic words that were coming to the nation of Israel, a nation that was under siege at times, a nation that was led into captivity, a a nation that faced oppression and darkness. And it was just kind of like, is it ever going to get any better than this? Is it ever going to get any better? And a series of prophecies were given to this nation that said, hey, guess what? A Savior's coming. A Messiah's going to come. Look for it. Wait for it. It's going to be great. It would be hundreds of years later, but it started with these series of prophecies. The first one that we're going to look at, actually the only one we're going to look at today, is in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. And this was a promise from God. And it said, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Thank God. That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. 
You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. And it continues, for a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. Wonderful words of promise. God promised to bring joy to his people through the birth of Jesus. Fast forward 400 years and enter the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both now very old. Both had come from priestly families. And the Bible tells us that both were righteous in God's eyes. Both faithfully obeyed all the commands of the law. And yet still they were barren. And now they're old. So they're not even expecting that probably anything's going to happen at this point. Zechariah is performing his priestly duty, and in the midst of that, the angel Gabriel appears. Gabriel appears, and it scares him half to death. The Bible says that Zechariah is overwhelmed with fear. I would be too. (laughs) At the appearance of Gabriel, and Gabriel gives him good news. He tells him, I'm bringing you good news. You're going to have a son You're going to have a son. That thing, that dream in your heart that you thought might have been over, I'm about to resurrect your joy. And the Bible says, and he was going to be a great joy to you and to all who hear his words because this son, John, would proclaim that salvation is here. Salvation is here. What joy for this couple. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary is a young teenage girl coming from a humble family. And the angel Gabriel appears to her. And all of these events begin to unfold in a very rapid amount of time. The miraculous begins to happen at a time that had never been before been seen in history. And Mary is greeted by the angel with these words, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Greetings, you're favored, the Lord is with you. God pronounces, the angel Gabriel pronounces greetings to her, and that word is the same word that is used for rejoice. Guess what? You should be happy. The news I'm about to give you is great. You are favored. You are blessed. Why? Not because she was extraordinary. There wasn't anything extraordinary necessarily about this young girl, but she had been chosen by God. She had been chosen by God to perform and to fulfill something that was so critical in the timeline of our history and the, and the human history. And she is so amazed at this. And it wasn't because she was ordinary, but because the Lord was with her. That's why she was blessed. That's why she was favored, because the Lord was with her. A few days later, the Bible says that Mary hurried to visit her cousin Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife. Not, maybe not even knowing Elizabeth's situation. Elizabeth was about six months along in her pre- pregnancy. And as soon as Mary greeted Elizabeth. The Bible says that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And both of these women begin to rejoice before God, and Mary sings this song of praise. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see, our souls and our spirits can worship They can worship whether or not our circumstances are convenient. These circumstances that she was invited into were not convenient for this young woman. But she recognized that my spirit, my soul, can praise the Lord regardless. If you've been following along in your Advent book, you'll be coming to a reading on December 21st called The Great Reversal. 
And here's just a simple excerpt. It said, one of the central themes in the Gospel of Luke is what interpreters have often called the great reversal. Or perhaps in more common language, we should call it the world upside down. This theme appears in the very beginning of the Gospel in the Song of Mary that is usually known by the first word of its Latin translation, Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. But in truth, the theme is not just praise of God, but rather praise of the God who is the Lord of great upheavals. Anybody need an upheaval in their life? You're looking for that. Mary praises God because he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant and because God has done great things for me. And then she places her own exaltation in the context of great upheaval. And she says, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God is a God of upheaval. And if you're in a situation today where you're looking for joy because the circumstances are just a little rough, God is working in your situation. Amen? Amen. Joseph, her husband, or her fiancé, soon-to-be husband, was a man who was caught in a very difficult situation. He just learned that his fiancé was pregnant, and it wasn't him. And he had some choices to make. He's wrestling with this, with this decision. Do I marry her, or do I sever this relationship? And who appears to him? The angel appears to him in a dream and instructs him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he explains what happens, and the word of God tells us that immediately Joseph got up and did the thing that the Lord asked him to do. In Matthew it's recorded that after the time of Jesus, Herod was on a, a vendetta to kill all of the young children because he wanted nobody else to worship, be worshipped other than him alone. And God, uh, the angel, God sends the angel Gabriel also to Joseph again in a dream and says, you need to get up right away and take the child and, and the mother to Egypt. You need to do it immediately. And the word of God immediately says he did it quickly. Just as soon as he heard the word of God, he did it. Now, after all of this happens, we don't see that, that Joseph is filled with joy or that jo Joseph rejoices. I don't know that he was too happy about all the circumstances in his life. I don't know how he responded because the word of God doesn't tell us. But what we do see is quick obedience and actions. He responded to the voice of God. So this man, this carpenter, may or may not have been a man of many words of expression, but his life backed it up. He believed the word of the Lord and he acted upon it. So we see joy can come sometimes just in simple obedience, to respond to the word of God and to act. The shepherds who were out in the fields, these lowly, untrusted, disreputable shepherds, have an appearance of angels. <laughs> and the angels come to them and immediately they say, hey, don't be afraid. Again, every time there's an angelic visitation in the Bible, this is not the, the doll that's sitting on top of our trees. Okay, these are majestic, powerful warriors of God. When Gabriel speaks to, to Zechariah, and Zechariah says, how am I going to know this is going to happen? Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. I think we're going to listen. And that's why every single time an angel appears in the, in the Bible, they also have to say, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed with fear. So the angels appear, and they say, we bring good news it's going to be great joy to all people. Good news of great joy to all people. 
because God is bringing salvation to all. Not just the favored, but also to, to every single person. Everyone is included in the Christmas story. The Magi were seekers looking for signs that led them straight to Herod's door in Jerusalem. They said, we saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. And as they saw the star, the Bible says, they were filled with joy. Do we see this theme? Shows up in every single character, every single thing, because there's always joy when we seek God's presence, when we seek to be in the presence of God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. God brings joy to those who seek after him. And finally, Simeon and Anna, two older people who were in the temple waiting for this day when the Messiah would come, waiting for that day. And God had made a promise to them, had revealed to Simeon that he would live until he saw that promise fulfilled. And verse 28 of Luke 2 says, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms and praised God. As Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple at eight days of age to fulfill the customs of the law, Simeon was there that day. Thank God he didn't skip church. Thank God he was there that day to see this thing unfold before his very eyes. Can you imagine if that had been the one day he said, I think I'll sleep today. (laughs) He would have missed it. And then in verse 38, Anna comes along just as Simeon's talking and with Mary and Joseph, and she begins praising God. These two people found joy because God answered their prayers, and he fulfilled the things that he had promised. And they become models of thanksgiving. What do we do when we feel joy, when God answers, and when he fulfills? We respond with thanksgiving to God. Now think about this little segment of history, these few characters in this one little tiny place in the timeline of history from beginning until we find ourselves now and continuing on beyond us. If God has that much joy in this little part of the story, how much more joy does God have available for all of us? Because the Bible says that the angels pronounced that they were bringing great joy to all people. That's all people in all times, in all places. That includes us. God has joy for us today. And so we want to take a look at joy in the gospel story. The broader theme and the picture of what God has been doing in our lives. And to understand joy and happiness, I want us to look at four aspects. Four aspects. First of all, is joy and happiness different? Is joy different from happiness? Now, until I started studying this, I would have said yes. And I realized I had an unchallenged assumption about joy and happiness. And as I studied, I found out, because Scripture is so good to reprove and rebuke and correct, and and to train us in godliness and righteousness, and to correct our thinking about it. And I realized as I studied Scriptures, and I looked at hundreds of verses that there was not one place in the scripture where these two were separated. Where it's like, well, you can have joy, but happiness is something else. Or you may have happiness, but joy is so much better. You simply can't find it in the scriptures. Randy Alcorn has an amazing book called Happiness. It just came out a couple of years ago, and I highly, highly recommend grabbing this. And he talks about in over 2,700, 2,700 verses in the Bible that deal with joy, laughter, happiness, delight, celebration, feasting, contentment, over 2,700 occurrences of that word in the Bible. Add to that blessed or blessing, and you go far more than that. 
The Bible is filled from cover to cover, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, with joy and happiness. But in my mind, I had thought, well, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. True. Joy can be present whether or not my circumstances are great, which is also true. But that's where it broke down for me, because happiness, in my mind, was just the emotions, the fleeting pieces of my life. And because it was emotive and maybe circumstance-based, it was somehow lesser than joy. But when you look at the Bible, you can't find any distinction between the two. And all of the key voices and shapers of Christian doctrine and theology since the time of Christ all preached a doctrine of happiness and joy, that the Christian life should be happy, that we should seek happiness, not for our own pleasures and not not seeking it as a source of my job is great and all these things are going right, but seeking the source of joy and happiness. And that Christians should be the most joyful people. Do we see that played out? Not all the time, not even in myself. Okay, so this is something we all have to work on. But Augustine, Anselm, Pascal, Francis of Assisi, Ignatius, Luther, John Wesley, the Puritans that we think of as dour, all preached a doctrine of you should be happy, you should seek happiness and joy. The evangelist George Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, Thomas Traherne, Spurgeon, Bunyan, George MacDonald, you just keep going down the list, all of them preached a doctrine of joy and happiness without distinction. Without distinction. John Piper writes... If you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its uses of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. There is no distinction according to the Bible. Isn't that great news? I can feel happy in the Lord. I can feel joy and I, pl- I bring pleasure to God. And I feel pleasure when I experience these emotions. There's no distinction between joy and happiness, according to Scripture. And God is the source of it. This is important because if I look to any other source, I am going to be disappointed. I'm going to be very disappointed if I try to find the source of joy and happiness at anyone other than God. Vacations are great. Time away with family. Holidays. All the things that we experience are awesome. But if I look to those to fulfill me and bring me joy, I will be disappointed. But if I go to God, the source of it, this is what I find. Psalm 43, 4. Therefore, I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. The source of all my joy. Psalm 87, 7. As they make music, they will sing. All of my fountains are in you. And when the psalmist writes this, what he's saying is the spring of my life and my joy, the source of my fountains is in you, God. All of my fountains are in you, God. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This is who God is, my friends. This is who God is and what he looks looks like. God rejoices over us. God delights in us. God can give joy because God is joy. God is happy. God is happy. God expresses joy. Our hearts long for it. Our hearts long for this. Because God is the source of joy, he's also indiscriminate of who can experience that joy. The Bible says that God sends rain, that refreshing on the just and the unjust alike. And so there's equal opportunity for joy. Every single person on the planet, you you look at babies and little children. I look at little Haji. Does Haji have to know and be taught how to laugh? No. No. Children do it naturally, instinctively. Why? Because we have been wired by God, created by God for joy. Our hearts long for it. 
And so we can see it because it's a part of humanity. Even Charles Darwin said all sentient beings have been formed, didn't say by who or by what, but have been formed so as to enjoy as a general rule happiness. Whether or not you recognize God as the source of your joy, everyone recognizes that we've been wired to feel it. We've been wired to feel it. We've been created to feel it. But we are so much more than just sentient beings. We are spiritual beings. And as we look to God as the source, I can recognize that I long for joy because God is joy and God has made me in his image and I was made by God to feel joy. I'm made by God to feel it. When Genesis, in Genesis, when we were created, God designed every single thing and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when it came to each of us and he created us, male and female, in the image of God, he created us. He said, it's very good. In other words, I like what I see. This is good. This is so good. And because I'm created in his image and I bear his likeness, if God is joy, I can experience joy as well because he's the source of it. And finally, celebration is a spiritual discipline. Celebration is a spiritual discipline. We like to think of disciplines as work or drudgery. I've got to have the discipline of, (laughs) or your children act up, well, you will be disciplined. You know, it sounds like such a negative word, and it feels so hard and harsh. But disciplines can actually be a source of delight. Delight. Celebration is a choice to inwardly, in my thoughts, my words, my actions, my self-talk, to constantly be thinking about how do I reframe this in terms of praise to God? Where do I look for good? Where do I look for God? Where do I look for joy? And to, re- and to retrain so that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are acceptable and pleasing to God. So it's an inward discipline, and it's also an outward discipline. There are times when we need to set aside work so that we can enjoy That's why God gave the feasts and the celebrations in the Old Testament, because he said there are times when you need to set aside the regular activities of your day, the stresses, the worries, the the harvest, all of those things that had to come, and there are times when you set aside feasts or seasons for celebration, and you practice it as a discipline, whether or not it's convenient, or it's fitting into your life, or it matches up with the rest of the circumstances. We practice celebration because it's good for us. George Mueller was, lived in the 1800s, developed the orphanage for, for children completely by faith, never asked for a dime. God completely, 100% met every single need of the orphanage, and he cared for tens of thousands of children over that period of time. And George Mueller said this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day wasn't to read his Bible, wasn't to Pray or other things that we typically think of in the line that would come first in disciplines. What did he say? The first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord, which includes prayer and Bible study and all whatever means it takes to get you happy in the Lord. He's recognized this is not something to mess around with. Joy was really important. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how that inner life might be nourished. Isn't that awesome? The f- that the first priority of ourselves is to, uh, of our life can be, how do I encourage myself in the Lord? How do I build up myself in, those, in, those, in my faith? 
not just for self-worth, but so that I recognize who God is. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And even if I don't feel that he's coming to my circumstances, I recognize that he will come. This is a God who will come into my circumstances, and therefore I can celebrate. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice something that will cost us, something that may be difficult, something that might take a little bit of something that we love, a sacrifice of praise. Let us continually offer it up, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So if God wants us to be happy, then why is it so hard to feel joy? Why is it so hard for our, our, our emotions and our mind and, our, and all of that to come in so that I feel that all the time? We're commanded repeatedly to be joyful, to be content, to be happy, to take delight, to rejoice, to feast, to celebrate. Anselm of Canterbury said, O wretched lot of man, when he hath lost that for which he is made, he has lost the blessedness or the happiness for which he was made and has found misery for which he was not made. You were not made for misery. You were made for joy. But there are times when we don't feel like it. There are times when we gather together and Hebrews talks about the importance of us not neglecting that time of gathering together. Because he said this should be a time of encouragement. When you walk into this house, when you walk into the company of this family, my prayer is that this is the most encouraging and uplifting place you come all week. That it becomes like the things like, I have to be there because I need that encouragement. I'm not going to make it through unless I get there and get around people who encourage me and I can be reminded of who God is and I can worship and I can celebrate. There are times when we need to do that. So is it disingenuous to be happy when I don't feel like it? Is it disingenuous for me to express emotions of praise and thanksgiving when my circumstances are hard and I'm mourning. One of my favorite verses dealing with this is in Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. It's a story of rebuilding the walls that have been just reduced to rubble. And after a long period of time, the people of Israel had not heard the word of God. They had not heard the word of God spoken, the law. And after it was done, the people were called together for a time for a, a time of sacred assembly, a time of consecration, and they just simply began to read the book of the law. And they read, and they read, and they read aloud. Everyone was gathered together. And as they read the word of God, people began to weep and to mourn because it had been so long since they had heard these words. And Nehemiah 8 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. They had not heard it. What they were feeling was, was genuine. They were mourning. They had been sad. They hadn't heard these words for so long. But the leadership looked at him and said, No, 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 no. This is not the time for that. Don't mourn or weep on such a day like this, for today is sacred. Not just solemn. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Sacred can mean celebrate. This is a time of sacredness before God. The people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law, and Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared, because this is a sacred day 
before our Lord. So don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, don't weep. This is a sacred day. There are times when we come in and we bring our real emotions into the room, and maybe we don't feel like it. Maybe we don't feel particularly praiseworthy, but it is a part of our discipline to offer a sacrifice of praise that said, God, I recognize who you are, and therefore I give you thanks, I give you praise, and I'm going to bring a joyful sacrifice of praise into your presence. And that's what we need to do. What about circumstances, people, or distractions? My joy is not contingent on all of those things of my life. If I'm looking for joy in things, I won't find it. But if I look for joy in God alone, I will find it. I will find it. Jesus told his disciples, one of the things I love about the gospel, and I've said this before, but this is one of the things I love about it, is that the Bible never, ever makes religion or a relationship with God about all the things that you feel, and everything's going to go great, and it's going to be perfect, it's going to be wonderful, and all that. No, Jesus broke it down for his disciples simply and said, in this world you will have trouble. That's the truth. This is not a gospel of denial. This is a gospel of recognition and realization. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But Jesus told them in John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. Your joy will overflow. That's why Jesus could look at the cross before him in Hebrews 12 and said that for the joy set before him, he could endure the cross. Not that the cross was going to be fun, but because there was joy on the other side of that, he could look, look forward in joyful anticipation for what was awaiting him. Joy should be experienced. Joy should be felt. And it should give evidence to the gospel or the good news. Remember, the angel said, I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And the gospel, the story of good news in us, should be evidence of the gospel alive in us. Others should be able to see when we walk in hope and peace and joy. If there's no evidence of hope, how are they supposed to ask you to give a defense for the hope that's in you? If they don't see peace at work in your life, then how can they say, how do you have this peace that just surpasses all my comprehension? I can't figure it out. How do you have peace when all these things are happening? And the same thing is true of joy. How can you feel joyful? How can you always have a smile on your face? Like Linda Watkins. I mean, I never see her, that she's not just radiant. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's why. The joy of the Lord is, is encouraging me, even in the midst of loss. Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of change or transition, God can be your joy, and his joy will give us strength. His joy will give us strength. Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Romans 14 says, For the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking or the right job or the right relationship or anything else you put in there, but the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's how people will see the kingdom of God at work in your life. That's how they'll see the reality of the kingdom of God in our midst. So when they come in and we're marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Randy Elkhorn, in the book I mentioned on happiness, said, Christ followers say things like, God wants you to be blessed, not happy. Or God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be, anybody know what the next word is? 
holy. God doesn't care about your happiness. God cares that you're holy. I've heard that all my life. But does the message that God doesn't want us to be happy promote the good news? Or does it obscure it? Great question. Does the message that God doesn't want us to be happy, does it promote the good news? Or is it obscuring the good news? When we separate God from happiness and from our longing for happiness, we undermine the Christian worldview. And we might as well say, stop breathing and eating and instead worship God. But people must breathe and eat and desire happiness and they can worship God as they do so. If we want to bear witness to a life of faith in Jesus, let's pay attention to our level of joy. How's your joy gauge? Is it full? Not just Christmas spirit that's going to lift Santa's sleigh, but are we, are we really experiencing the joy of the Lord, and can other people see it in our lives? Can other people see it? God gives joy to everyone because the gospel is good news that brings joy to every single person. Every single person. George Whitefield says, does Je- did, said in the 1700s, does Jesus want your heart only for the same end as the devil does to make you miserable? <laughs> Puritan evangelist? Does Jesus want your heart only for the same end as the devil does to make you miserable? No. He only wants you to believe on him that you might be saved. And this, this is all the dear Savior desires, to make you happy that you may leave your sins and sit down eternally with him. Because the reality is, at the end of this life, we either have one of two options. We either have happiness and God, or we have neither happiness nor God. But Randy Alcorn says, what you can't have, what you won't be able to have is God without happiness or happiness without God. The whole idea, well, when I get to hell, I'm just going to party with my friend. No, you won't because you're going to be separated from the source of happiness. What you can't have is happiness without God. It's either happiness and God or neither happiness nor God. It's a sober reality, but that's why the gospel brings good news. There is another alternative. We can have happiness, and we can have God, and life eternal. So finally, where do we find joy in our story? Where do we find joy in our story? We already saw these shades and these little clues of joy in the Christmas story. But I just want to remind you of these as our, as our worship team comes and as we prepare to close in worship The first way to find joy, if you're struggling today, if you need a fresh infusion of joy in your life, if you need a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, these are the places where we look for it. You've got to first receive the gift of salvation. There is no joy apart from Jesus. There is no joy apart from receiving that work. Psalm 32, 1 through 2, I've talked to you, you know, to your head, but now I want to speak to your heart, and I just want you to listen to these verses as I read them and receive them. As I began to read these verses as I studied, the more I came across these words and I let the words roll over my heart, the more it lifted my spirit just to receive and be reminded of the joy that God has for me. What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Psalm 51, time after David had a tremendous moral moral failure oh give me back my joy again you've broken me now let me rejoice restore to me the joy of your salvation make me willing to obey you psalm isaiah 61 i'm overwhelmed with joy in the lord my god receive the gift of salvation 
Number two, seek God's presence. If you need to find joy, you're only going to find it in his presence. Acts 2.28, you've shown me the path of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Psalm 22, all who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Psalm 40, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness. Psalm 68, let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. There's joy in God's presence. Let's seek it. Read and love God's word. Read and love God's word. Psalm 19 says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect. What do they do? They revive the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Psalm 119, every single verse in that one is filled with, I love your law, I love your commands, I love your statutes, I love that. If you want to know what it looks like to just put that in your heart and to learn to love God's word, Psalm 119 is your place because literally every verse in that psalm is about love of God's word. Psalm 1620, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust in the Lord will be joyful. The next thing we can do to find joy is respond in obedience, just like Joseph did, just like Mary. Respond in obedience. Psalm 40, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Psalm 119, 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Psalm 128, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. Isaiah 29, The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. We live generously. 1 Chronicles 29. I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. A life of generosity. Acts 2.46. The early church worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 2 Corinthians 8.2, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Express thankfulness to God. Listen to these scriptures. Psalms 28.7, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Psalm 30, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank God. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and have clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Psalm 59, but as for me, I sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you've been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. We express thankfulness to God. Psalm 63, because you're my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 65, those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. Not whispers, shouts of joy. Psalm 92, you thrill me, Lord, with all you've done for me. I sing for joy because of what you've done. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Even in Luke 10, 21, Jesus 
had been hearing all of these reports from the disciples about all the good things that had been happening, all the miracles happening. And as he listened, it said, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you. He explodes in this anthem of just thankfulness to his Father because of all the things that they were doing. Acts 13, 52, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be refreshed in the Lord. Be refreshed in the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 25 says, for I've given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. Let these words just sink down deep. Habakkuk 3 Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Zephaniah 3 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Malachi 4. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy. And let's stand as we hear the last part. Worship and celebrate. Worship and celebrate. Psalm 27.6. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Psalm 33, let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. In other words, another translation, it looks good on you when you praise. It's becoming. When you praise God, again, it gives witness to the world. It gives witness to those around you, and it encourages them. And it's fitting for the pure to praise him. Psalm 47, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Psalm 107, Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. Rejoice in your maker. Exult in your king. Praise his name with dancing accompanied by tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths. And finally, Philippians 4.4, always be full of the joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Can we say that last one together? Always be full of the joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. That's the word of God to you. That's the word of God. Those are the promises of God to you. If you're struggling with joy today, today is the day to offer a sacrifice of praise. Today is a day to practice a discipline, a spiritual discipline of celebration in place of despair. And that's what we're going to do right now. There are communion stations that are open. There are going to be prayer workers on the side if you'd like someone to pray. There are questions that you can respond to in your listening guide and on the screen. But right now, I would like to invite you just to lift your hands and to lift your hearts to respond in whatever way that you need to respond right now, but be filled with the joy of the Lord. And let's worship him together, okay? Let's worship him together.